Welcome to Christie's Comedy Pod. Let me, okay. So this is an experiment. It's January 3rd, and you've heard me speak before about how I don't like um, when I have anything to drink. Like when I have a beer or something, and then I do the podcast like later. I don't like um, not being super sharp and not being able to just be perfectly awesome. Okay, I'm trying to have a little fun and do a little experiment tonight. I've been driving. I just left my parents' house. Um, I'm driving to Tampa, Florida for a week so I can get my summer body back. We're going to be running on the beach. We're going to get tan. I'm going to lose like 10 pounds at least. And then I'll be able to get back to work, right? So I'm driving. I drove three hours. I got another three. And I was like, let me grab a beer, right? So I just opened a Budweiser and I had, I took a few sips and I just felt like, what if, you know, I don't like, I don't like, what if I'm drinking while doing the podcast? Okay. God. Um, it's probably a really bad idea, but, um, how bad can it be? It's just Budweiser. By the way, like this gas station I went to, I'm in South Georgia right now, which is whoever goes into South, like Southern Georgia, it's kind of one of the, one of the sketchiest places to be. Like, I'm not even trying to be an ignorant, um, city slicker who goes into the rural areas and just says they're scared. Oh, I'm racists. Like, I'm not trying to be like that. I've been in a lot of rural areas where I feel fine. It's just, there's something about, like, when you're in extreme Alabama territory, people have a casualness to them still. To me, I, that's how I feel, at least in a general way. There's, like, a casual sports feeling to people still where it's, it's not so serious. It's not that serious. You know, and um, Tennessee, it's not that serious. It's, like, very... It's very cowboy, horsey, you know, culture. It's not that serious. But there's something about super southern Georgia where everyone has this look in their eyes. Like they've just been reading the Bible in a dark room for the past 10 years and they just saw a ghost. Like that's how everybody looks when you see them. And you're like, hi. And the person at the gas station is like, they just, there's, it's, it's pretty serious. It feels always very serious. Um, and it gets me wondering about the society. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in a town right now. I don't know what town it is. I could find out, I guess. <laughs> and I, I just wonder sometimes, like, is everybody in the town super serious or like, what is, I've been to South Georgia so many times in my life and it's still this enigma to me of, um, I just can't imagine, I mean, Savannah, Georgia is something different because that's in super South Georgia, um, and that's, that's not that serious, you know, you're allowed to drink on the street in Savannah, Georgia, um, there's a lot of, like, gang activity there, I mean, and then you have Madison, which is, like, the meth capital, meth heads are pretty serious, you know, that's, that's one thing is like, when you go into extreme Christian wasp, Anglo-Saxon, um, super serious people, and then you also look at meth heads, 
in the same area, there's a very similar line in between them because both of them are on a, a ton of stimulants, at least, reading the Bible. I mean, both of them are doing that. So, so they're very similar people. I mean, super Christians are drinking coffee at 4 a.m., reading the Bible and crying. And I know that for a fact. And then meth heads are just on meth at 4 a.m. reading the Bible. So there's this very similar bone structure to their face that is... It, a meth head's face is carved by meth. It, it, that's something that you should know. I think, I think most people ha have seen enough, me enough meth heads to know that. When you see a heroin addict, their bone structure isn't different. You know, sometimes they have kind of drowsy eyes... Um, you never really know, you know, no one's bone structure. I mean, maybe a Coke addict has like, has like strong eyebrows sometimes because they're so, you know, they're, they're thinking so hard, you know, they have their ego so furiously thinking so often that their eyebrows are furrowed a lot. But, um, a meth head, their jaw is, they usually have a, um, a, the, their, the, what is it called? Their lower jaw has an overbite? They have an underbite. I don't know. And uh, wasps have an overbite. I'm, I'm out of it. I can't, I can't do it anymore, but it, it just feels dangerous. When you, when I see, when I see heavy Southern Christians in South Georgia, I feel the same amount of fear as when I see an active meth head in pure daylight. Like, there's the same amount of unpredictability, serious thought, um, shifty eyes. There's the same amount. And they could both be on meth. I mean, how do you get, how do you get to that level of Christianity? Perhaps it's just always meth. Maybe it's all just meth. Um, and Madison County, that's like, that's like next to UGA, Athens, Georgia. You get, you get around there. Um, I went to a school called, called GCSU, which I think is in Madison County or something, um, near, really in the South, uh, GCSU, that's in, wh where's it called? Milledgeville, GCSU. It's a very small university. I went there for like two years and, um, it's a really small university, but it's in the, uh, former capital, wait, that was not the capital of the Confederacy, but the governor, crap, the governor's mansion, like Jefferson Davis, okay, where, what was the capital of the Confederacy again? Is, was it Atlanta? Milledgeville had something, but okay, back in the day, like literally not that long ago, like maybe 40 years ago, um, there was a saying, if you were acting crazy or acting stupid, people would say, they're going to send you to Milledgeville. Because Milledgeville had one of the largest insane asylums ever. I don't know, I don't know the rankings, but it was like a huge deal. People, everyone knew about Milledgeville. And it also has 13 different prisons. Like, we, we drove around there, like, where all of this stuff is. And yeah, it's like prison after prison after prison... And we drove around the insane asylum. It's now mostly abandoned. So people like, you know, walk through it at night and it's like terrible and scary. But um, it's a terrible place because so when the insane, insane asylum was emptied out, 
it was because of pharmaceutical drugs, I guess, and um, lack of funding. And it feels as though it was emptied out and a lot of the patients just bought an apartment, you know, rented an apartment right there. So there's a lot of like weird apartments right around the insane asylum with people who are in extreme poverty in the middle of nowhere and have kind of a big personality and are a little bit off. Like we were buying weed from this one guy who was a black guy. He seemed like just a normal black weed dealer, like in college, you know, but he lived over by the insane asylum and uh, he would send me randomly like randomly to so random to the point that I didn't even take it as that much of a red flag I would be like all right all right but he would randomly send me pictures of like bloody babies like bloody chopped up babies and like weird like um all I'm saying is that like I think that this how many people used to be at this insane asylum? It was over. It was overpopulated. I don't know, and it, it and it got almost completely abandoned. And just like everything else, people don't equally disperse into the rest of the country when they abandon a building. They buy apartments next door. You know, people who are out of their fucking minds are not that capable of driving across the country or flying across the country or somehow moving themselves across the country to somewhere else. No, no. They rolled their luggage to the nearest other building and asked to rent an apartment. So these people are living right there. All I'm saying about Milledgeville is that that um, there was tons of projects like right around our school it's the fucking middle of nowhere and that's what's interesting when you get into these middle of nowhere places and then you see pockets of intentionally placed things there's just like all of these projects that when we would kind of drive drive through to <laughs> to get weed uh some of the locals would be in our car and the locals would be like no 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 get get out of here no get out of here there are bullets flying in here like, get out of this, like, very dangerous projects, um, and I just remember, like, we had this one house, and two different times, um, a guy, a guy with burning red eyes, the reddest eyes I've ever seen, dripping in sweat, holding a knife in his hand, um, was at our back door, like asking if he could borrow our refrigerator and we had to we were like no go away we're calling the police like you know what I mean um we didn't call the police not a Karen but uh you know that's how strong of a person you know an 18 year old me what how, how old was I I was like 19 20 years old that's how strong you think you are when you're 19 and 20 is you just look through your peephole a guy like that, let me just say that he was a black guy, just so you understand that he was like a strong, he was a strong guy, um, with extraordinarily red eyes, <laughs> dripping in sweat with a knife in his hand, a 19 and 20 year old girl will open the door. That's how strong and invincible we think we are. We're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, what, what are you doing on my back porch, sir? We open the door, hello, and he's like, oh, I have a knife, it's uh, could I have your refrigerator? And we're like, no, back up. Wait, what am I saying? 
back off. Get off our porch. I'm just yelling. That's all I'm doing. Let me take a sip of my beer because that's like the program that we're in. Gross. What an awful gas station that, that was. They had no good beers. It was kind of a waste, like, to get a Budweiser. But, um, so we had that guy twice. Um, we always had a grocery cart guy at 6 a.m. push his grocery cart, you know, down our gra dra gravel driveway and look through our trash um, in the mornings at 6 a.m. Which, it's like, I guess if you're in L.A., listening to this, you might not think that that's bad, I guess. I don't really know, but it's the middle of nowhere in, like, South Georgia. It's just kind of, uh, it's just a lot. I don't know. Um, one time, like, at dusk, like, it was still bright enough to see things, but it was, like, you know, it was getting, it was getting dark, you know, at dusk. I opened the back door, and a old gray-haired white man with like a kind of a beard and kind of longer gray hair you know gray um super skinny all white just in underwear uh ran away like a deer into the woods and it was like um it was like that very elf like running away where he's like kind of jumping and squatting down on the ground and stuff um as he's running away he scattered he scattered. You know what I mean? Um, this, Milledgeville was not a place where somebody could panhandle for money. There's no, you can't beg for change. There's no, you know, people donating in Milledgeville. There's nowhere. So, I mean, I assume now if you go, there's probably two people panhandling on both sides of the road in the middle of the town. But, um, there weren't at the time. So these people were just like, literally just wild, like meth heads. You know what I mean? Um, they were not getting any change from anyone. So yeah, um, I mean, I, it's just interesting the way this pandemic has happened. Like, where these little stories that I've held as kind of big deals don't even seem like big deals anymore because now everyone's seen a high homeless rate like you guys don't even think like because yeah when I was in New York before the pandemic there's tons of homeless people but there's not really they don't really act up you know they don't really act in weird ways like you know the biggest thing that ever happened really with a homeless guy was there was one who always uses a banana as a phone like, every single day for months. Like, everyone knows him. He's on the same corner pretending to be on the phone with a banana in his hand. And he's in a wheelchair. And that's cute. He's not even bothering anyone. So, but now, since the pandemic, going to other cities, people are acting up. It's a lot of stuff. So, now my little Milledgeville, Georgia stories don't even, like, I don't know. We used to go to this house that was, that had, like, ten local native black guys in it and we used to smoke blunts with them um they were really nice what i like the local native black guys it's very interesting because it's just like the middle of nowhere that's what really gets me with it it's just like what are they doing what are they doing there it's not like they're farmers you know what i mean it's like what are they doing they're not 
if you go to the middle of nowhere and someone's like, yeah, but I have a farm, you know, this is cool. I like that, you know, there's a reason that I'm here. There's a reason that I want to be out here. Okay, that's great. But if you're just smoking blunts and you're 20 years old, like, what are you doing? Um, and so that's what I mean of just like, what's going on? Uh, one of our best friends was this local native black guy. I'm not going to say his name. I was about to say his name, but, uh, he was a pro a product of his like home. What, what was what, a, a product of his upbringing? He was the coolest guy ever. Like literally he was our fucking best friend. He was our brother. Like we always had him stay in our dorm. We drove him around everywhere. Like he was so amazing but he was 18 and already had three babies by three different women. And he was 18 years old. Do you know like what I mean? Um, within the two years that we knew him, he murdered two people kind of by accident because of like circumstances. I believe him. Like he told us the story. <laughs> circumstances that he was put in. He murdered two people. Am I... Is this admitting? Like, no, I didn't say his name. But anyways, like, um, and I wasn't there, by the way. <laughs> like, whoa, no. But like, um, the house that he was always at with the all of these other like really nice guys. They were so nice, and we would smoke blunts with them. And um, just one day, we weren't there, and they were all robbed at gunpoint. You know, and I don't even think that sounds like that big of a story anymore. But just like, you know, the house that we were always at, um, just kind of thinking to ourselves, no, these people are nice. Like, you know, there's no danger here. Like, all of these guys are so nice. Like, what would, what's the problem? You know what I mean? Like, when you're at your aunt and uncle's house, you don't, they're nice. What's the problem, right? But because it's like five young black guys who are local natives of this place, no matter how nice and like shy and soft-spoken and like smiley, you know, they're literally just nice guys. And yet there's danger. Like they get robbed at gunpoint. Everything's taken. They immediately leave. Like they're gone after that. Um, it's just interesting. Or like my friend, the guy who murdered two people, we like I know what happened with the with the two murder like I know what happened and like again it's like there he had three babies by three different women and also murdered two people and he didn't get caught I think but it's like just what a product of of the just area that you were raised in like you know he was so cool and nice and reasonable and he did not have a temper like he was just uh I mean, one of the people, basically, they had to speed away from, like, a bunch of people getting mad, like, outside of their car. They had to speed away and accidentally ran over a girl. Okay, there's a... I feel like saying this story is making me seem like I'm involved and I'm not involved. Like, we actually hadn't hung out with him in over a year when he told us this story. Um, he was just, like, updating us after not hanging out with us for, like, over a year. But And we were like, oh, you're safe. You know, your story is safe with us. But, um, and then, and then the second murder was, like, involved with the same people. Like, those same people or whatever came and tried to, like, uh, you know, invade them and, like, try to, um, 
attack them and shoot at them and stuff. And, oh my god, I almost said his name. I'm just like, okay. And the guy uh, found a gun and shot back in defense and killed somebody. And I don't know how he, like, survived everything else. But, like, yeah. So, again, I was not there. I don't know any of these. Okay. I'm just saying that Milledgeville, Georgia, this, like, southern little town in Georgia, it's just not, it's, it's not cute. Nobody there has a farm, okay? Like, it's, it's very intentional, just projects, insane asylums that are, that are emptied out right into that area. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. But, um, we have any, like, I'm not gonna keep going on that, on that town. What was I saying? I'm just here. I'm just out here. I'm excited to go to Tampa, and, um, I'm immediately gonna start doing my running challenge, so I was trying to do this running challenge that David Goggins started. He's, like, a famous guy, and, um, it's basically where you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours straight. It sounds a little bit easy. I, I love, like, extreme stuff where you can't even sleep and it's, like, difficult, but this is a doable challenge. Like, even if you walk four miles, that'll only take you up to two hours max. And so th that gives you, like, this challenge, that gives you two hours of rest, even at the slowest speed. And so, so no matter what um, fitness level you're at, you can do this challenge. Like, it's not like, it's not like one of the, like, I have a cousin in New York who every single day does, does like this crazy you know, challenge or whatever, where I can't even do it because it's like actually impossible to do. Like, he'll be like, oh, you want to go biking with us? I'm like, yeah. He's like, no, it's 25 miles there and then 25 miles back. I can't do that. Like, people can't do that. So I can't go. I'll bike five miles and then, and then turn around. So no. Um, but yeah, so this David Goggins challenge, it's cool because it's like actually doable and then it's also hard and, and that just seems really fun. Sure, it happens to be at New Year's and I, I hate that. I kind of don't like being a part of the New Year's exercising wave. Um, but I guess it's placed at a really good time because like you spend, an, you spend a month eating at your parents' house and then you leave after Christmas, and you're like, okay, now I need to exercise, and then that's New Year's, so it's kind of, uh, you know, it's gonna happen, so I'm gonna do it now, I couldn't do it at my parents' house, because they don't allow me to do anything extreme, uh, I went for a walk for an hour at, like, eight o'clock, and they were upset, they were like, why did you walk for that long, you know, so if I was gonna go do that, throughout the night like if I went at 4 a.m to run four miles they would notice because they're light sleepers and they notice they're like okay you left at 4 a.m and you were running around the neighborhood you're crazy like they would they would be really upset so I couldn't do the running challenge at their house so now that I've left I am doing it I'm so excited and I'm gonna Hopefully I'm going to, like, um, 
document it. You know, just, I'm going to take a small video after each four miles and be like, okay, four more miles, you know, or picture. Yeah, I sprained my ankle, which is a little bit troublesome because of the running challenge. It's, it's always an excuse, isn't it? But I like, I took my parents to play tennis with me and tennis is a really dangerous sport, man. Twice my ankle like rolled over because you change directions really fast and when you're an amateur like your body isn't that good at it and so you're suddenly I had high tops on not a good idea yeah uh I rolled my ankle twice and the second time one of my you know tendons overstretched which is a grade one ankle sprain. And that's pretty good. You know, if it tears, it's a grade two. And if it completely rips apart, it's grade three. Grade one is pretty good. Like it, does, it doesn't swell. You know, your ankle doesn't swell. It's just kind of, you can tell that, you know, your ankle's kind of moving around and it hurts. Like you can tell. It says it needs two to three weeks of rest. I rested two days really hard and it kind of feels good right now. Like I think I'm going to try to do the running challenge and it's kind of interesting. Cause like, I don't know. I, I'm one of those people who I don't want to, I don't want to permanently injure myself. So if I have like a sprained ankle, I usually, I rest the entire four to six weeks. I rest the ankle because I want it to fully heal. I don't want to like um, uh, aggravate it and make it permanently damaged. But it's like some of these people like David Goggins. I mean, he's run, you know, 70 miles on a torn, on a completely torn hamstring and like broken ankles and broken feet. He, he ran like a whole marathon with a broken foot and like, and like a broken femur or something. I don't even... Like, for sure, like, I'm not even exaggerating. I mean, his stuff is crazy that he's done. And so many of these people, like, you know, in the military and in crazy training programs and stuff, like, they do sprain their ankles and keep on going for a long time. And maybe there is permanent damage. Like... David Goggins definitely ran a marathon or more with a broken foot, for sure. I don't remember all the specifics of all of the stories, but, like, there was definitely a, one broken foot in there and at least 26 miles. Definitely, at least. So, does he have permanent damage? Because that's not recommended. You know, you're supposed to immediately rest and let your foot heal instead of beating it up with the, with the bones being broken and and spraying all over the place like okay I'm not even drunk I'm just like I'm mostly like I've been with my parents for a very long time and my family too but I told you when I first arrived there that I would lose myself I was like maybe you guys will be able to notice like who I was and then see who I become after after being at my parents' house for that long, like, maybe you'll be able to notice because it's definitely a huge difference. It's not even that 
it's just that I have to be a different version of myself with them. And it's a less funny version. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's a much more, um, restrained version and stuff like that. So repressed, repressed version. So I, I like lose myself. I, I have like crazy eyes after a while because I haven't like, you know, since Christmas, I haven't really, I haven't been social with other people, you know, since Christmas. Um, so that's been at least a week and I just started to get kind of crazy. So I really lost myself and now I'm leaving. And so I'm going to slowly gain myself back, which is great. Isn't that exciting for everyone? Um, cool. But before gaining myself back, I'm still going to have my big transition moment where we fucking go hard running on the beach and stuff. And I'll be doing the, the podcast still. Probably within the next three podcasts, I'm going to start the video version. And uh, I'll start with sunglasses on so that I can slowly move into, like, you know, transition into having a relationship with the actual camera. Um, <laughs> but, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, so I'm just kind of um, letting loose now and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place right now because of that. I, I'm not even drunk. I'm really just like, I'm kind of like a little girl, a little repressed girl who just left her parents' house, kind of. That's like more of the vibe. <laughs> like, what's going on? Is anyone partying? Are we partying? No, no one is. Where, I wonder where I am, like as far as the politics of this place. Obviously the Trump, you know, obviously the Trump era. I just, era, I said era. Obviously, it's a Trump area. I just wonder, like, you know, what the deal is in this town. Is everyone on drugs? Like, I just wonder what the deal is. I'm outside of a big lot, a uh, save-a-lot, Dollar Tree. You know, th this is a very poor parking lot, at least, right? We got a nail spa. That's normal. Fireworks. Uh, tractor supply, right? And then there's a golden corral behind me, which I used to love golden corrals. I used to bring my friends there as a kid. And that would be like, it was like fucking Disney World with the dessert area and just all the macaroni and cheese and, and fried chicken. Just so much. At, it's a buffet for anybody that doesn't know. It's a big buffet. Golden corral. And I've gone once as an adult and it kind of ruined my life. Like, it was the most, I don't know, the word jail and prison, like a prison cafeteria, truck stop cafeteria comes to mind of just like, it was the most dirty feeling, small, cooped up, carpeted, poverty place, you know, and as a kid, I was so innocent as a child and I had so much trust in the adults around me as a child that I thought Golden Corral was a nice restaurant. I, 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 I ran around freely with no worries, you know, and I just ate the food and I felt that it was high quality food. Um, 
and then when you grow up, you have, you have so much more ability to, to see if, if what's happening is actually good for you. And I went into Golden Corral and I noticed that it was not good. Really sad. Maybe it was just a really bad one. And the one we went to as a kid was a really good one. Cause, cause damn, the difference is huge. Like we, ours used to have steak, like a really legit area where somebody was like making steaks to your liking. I mean, it was fine. It was fire. Uh, yeah, but so I'm going to run on a sprained ankle. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Austin, Texas after a week of, of running and kind of getting my summer body back. I'm going to go back to Austin, Texas, where I do comedy comedy <laughs> um for anybody who doesn't like know me <laughs> um since I started doing comedy I was doing it in New York City mostly in Manhattan that's the headquarters of of stand-up comedy at least as w it was but like I think it I mean I think it still is it's the headquarters and when I started I was already living there and someone was like, hey, well, comedy is the, the headquarters is here. And I was like, oh, fuck. So, yeah, I did comedy there for, you know, the first two years, mostly. And I would go on the road, like, up and down the East Coast. I would go to, like, all through Florida, Virginia, you know, the Carolinas, Atlanta. I went back up through kind of a little bit of Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee, some, some Alabama, right? So I just did the East Coast and I knew really well New York and then a little bit of kind of Atlanta, but like mostly New York City. Um, moving to Austin, Texas was interesting as far as comedy, like the people there were a little happier because it's like a little bit more warm. It's not the fucking jungle, like the urban jungle that New York City is. So people are a little happier. They're small town kind of Texas people a lot, so they're very, they're just happy, you know, they're just down to party. People were a little bit more Joe Rogan-esque, because that's what the whole wave was, is that Joe Rogan was in Austin. So people had that philosophy and mindset a little more, which was exciting, because in Manhattan, all the comedians I was working with, a lot of them were just very, first of all, ugly, ratty, like, they look like rats. They are literally the people who... They, they've, they live there. They've been living there. And they grew up there. They're literally, like, sewage rats. They've been living in New York. Um, I'm one of the people who moved in more as, like, a... A, high, a higher end. Like, I went to Columbia. Like, I moved in uh, to, do, to do higher end stuff. So, see, me, like, having to work with these, like, literal, I mean, they're one of the, they're some of the lowest class people ever, like, they're just very grungy, they, like, there'll be a moldy corner with, like, a rat in the corner eating a piece of mold, and the person will sit down in it, in the corner, on the floor, into the mold, like, there's so many people that do that kind of thing. They don't, they do not mind just sitting in a moldy corner. 
You know what I mean? Like, there, there, it's just a lot of uh, that. People who will literally just sleep on the ground. So, so, so number one, they're ugly in Manhattan. And it's just not like when you're partying with a bunch of like literally ugly, literally mentally fucked up people, you just don't feel like you're having that much fun. Like you just don't feel. And then they're also just not socially adept. They've had such a rough, tough life and no, no, uh, breaks ever that nobody's ever given them a break. Like they've never had any luxury. They've never, you know, gone on a beautiful vacation, like just nothing. So they're, they're so tough and edgy that they're not even a, they're not pleasant to talk to. They don't smile and giggle. They're just very like, uh, like they're just so edgy and tough. And then they're also very, so much about the hustle um, that every single thing that they say to you is either an ask or a setup to an immediate ask. So, so it just doesn't, it's not a fun back and forth at all. There's no filler, small talkish kind of conversation at all. It's just either an ask or a buildup to a, a quick buildup to an ask. Um, so I really, you know, I'm somebody who has known ple pleasure in my life. So I was actually envisioning a community like Austin, Texas, and Austin, Texas matched it really to a T. Austin, Texas had all these people who enjoyed pastel colors, people who um, enjoyed a smoothie, you know what I mean? Who enjoyed going to the park, um, for, enjoyed kicks and giggles, uh, enjoyed actually kind of philosophizing in more of a pleasant way, just uh, whatever, all of these things. There's a train approaching. So, you know, Austin, Texas is great, and, and there's so much opportunity there, just, you know, I have some friends there that I really um, value personally, but like I was there for kind of six months and I left now for a month and leaving, I think about it. You know, I think about, I can go anywhere, you know, I'm not really tied to a place. Like I can go anywhere and I think about it so much. Like, do I want to go back to Austin? And it's tough because there's so much, um, there's so many problems there. Many more problems, like, like in New York City, I'm not in a fight. I don't have any, like, beef with anyone. Nobody in New York City. No comedian, no booker, nobody has beef with me. There is no misunderstanding in New York City. Me and everybody in New York that I have t interacted with, that I know, has a clean, like, slate. Doesn't that sound kind of refreshing to you? Like, if I go to New York right now, which I'm not because it's freezing there, so I have to wait for it to be warm, right? But if I go to New York, I'll text everybody there that I know, being like, I'm in town now, you know? And I'm not going to feel weird about anybody texting anybody. Every single person 
We are on fucking page one. Did I just honk the horn? We, we are on the same page. Every single person. And that's not like an accident. I, I really uh, attribute it to the like culture of just that as soon as there is a question, the person either shrugs and forgets it if it's too small of a question. They just shrug and forget it and move on because they know that life is hard and people, you know, people are trying and people are struggling. And there's a lot of like kind of shrugging. Like if you're kind of rude to me, but it's not that much and I just shrug and move on. I'm also thinking, hey, you might be struggling to like pay rent. Like it's, it's tough out here. Like, so there's no social grudges, right? Also, if you're a little bit rude, I just ask you. Everyone in New York just asks. I'm asking you. Why did you smile when, when this bad thing happened to me earlier? I'm just asking you. Right? So they, they, they quickly resolve any potential conflict. I, I just feel like that's the case, man. Because I never had, you know, the whole time in New York, you could say I was asked questions and that I asked questions that were associated with conflicts. But I'll also tell you that I feel like I've never had a conflict. I've never had actual drama, like, you know, like heart-wrenching, time-wasting misunderstandings. No, no. And so it was quite a shock to me. And I've kind of spoken about this before, but moving to Austin, a lot of the people in Austin, Texas, were also Think about L.A. L.A. is the second place headquarters for comedy in the country. L.A. was cleaned out, right? People who were kind of just starting in L.A. moved to Austin. I've heard some things about L.A. I've never been, but I've heard that it's a... When New York is kind of a financially cutthroat place, L.A. is a socially cutthroat place and I don't understand what that means I have no clue I can't relate socially cutthroat I don't understand because I feel like I'm already on top of things it's like what do you mean what is that what is socially cutthroat that sounds kind of really bad I, I what is it right and so I have been avoiding LA because I don't want to, people are like, please don't go there because it's so socially cutthroat. It's going to fucking kill you. So I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not going to go there. But if you think about the most scumbag people in LA comet comedians who just want a ton of opportunity, who want to leave LA, who want a ton of opportunity still, want it to be easy, want to just follow Joe Rogan, want to just follow Kill Tony, the biggest opportunity getter for comedians, you know, just want to be able to be in a small town with big shots, where would they go? They're in my little group, like, they went to Austin, and so I'm like with them, and, okay, I, I just want to make it shorter now, but, but it was just, like, so shocking the way that, like, they are. Like, they seem so friendly, and they're so shiny because, they, like, they're so shiny and cute and pretty. Like, you know, 
all sorts of dyed hair, like, in pretty faces and cute fashion and very friendly, you know, very good socially. But, but they quickly create misunderstandings. Like, they'll just tell everyone that you said something that you just literally did not say. Or they'll just tell everyone that you are a bad person. Like, they'll just tell everyone that. And you'll be like, what are you talking about? And then they just kind of run away. No, don't ask me. And, you know, don't, don't, don't confront me. And you're like, I'm confronting you because I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, why are you making my life miserable? Why are you making my life hell socially? Why are you making everyone look at me weird? What are you doing to me? And they're like, ah, and they, it's a lot of running away. And it's just shocking. Like, I'm scared to go back to Austin. Some of my most, like, some of my most valued people in my life. I don't know day to day where I stand with them and where they stand with me. Day to day. And it, like, matters. Like, in New York, bitch. It doesn't even matter. It's like, it's like, it's fine. We have so much other stuff on our mind that the social standings are pretty much status quo. Like, we do not need to shift them around. We are not bored. You know, we don't need to shift. But in Austin, it's just like, every day you're like, hey, are we still cool? And the person's just entertaining themselves. They're like, no, no, I told everyone that you suck. I told everyone that I hate you. And you're like, what the fuck? Why? And they're like, you know why? And then they just, and then they just back off and they like unfollow you. I've never been like blocked or unfollowed. I mean, I've obviously been unfollowed. I think everyone has, but not by like people who I'm in an active relationship with. Like I'm unfollowed by people who like, you know, we've kind of grown apart, I guess, for, for such a long time. We only met once, like, you know, those types of people. But in Austin, I've been like unfollowed by like active relationships um I don't know at least whatever at least three times it's kind of a big deal like I'll just see you know I'll just be like wow you know this person really blew up at me (laughs) and about me and then I see them they like blocked me and they're disinviting me from parties and you know blowing up in front of other people at me and I'm like oh my god I didn't do anything and I don't like that. I, I don't like feeling like I'm in danger of being socially attacked when I really haven't been doing anything like really wrong. I mean, perhaps I come off badly from a distance, but that shouldn't make me a- be attacked. You know what I mean? Like, just because I'm at a distance from you and haven't introduced myself, I mean, you haven't introduced yourself to me either. So for you to start attacking me, there's just so many things about Austin that I'm going back and it makes me feel like I'm a pussy for even going back. Like, it makes me feel like I'm, you know, like a pathetic abuse victim who, like, their abuser is, like, hitting them and stuff, and then they still crawl right back. That's how I feel go driving back to Austin. I really feel like that. Like, why am I going back? Even my best friend there, 
I don't feel like he even likes me or treats me that well. Like, it's like, what am I doing? I don't know. Um, but then also there's, there's, there's so many nice things and like, I am making it a bigger deal than it is. Like there's so many people there who it's not like they're walking around thinking about how they hate me. Like there's so many people there that there's probably not actually a grudge. It's just that when big leaders, like, you know, big social kind of leaders have a weird misunderstanding grudge against me and are outspoken about it, it makes me think like everyone else is hearing about this and is like maybe on their side and, and is looking at me worse. And so it makes me like, I think about walking into one of the comedy clubs there where all the kind of, you know, all the staff knows me. And when I first walk in, what is the best way to walk in? Like, I, I was literally thinking about that and just freaking out. Because, guys, like, <laughs> if anyone is listening, when I walk in, there's going to be six people there who know me. And I need to say hi. And I need to be excited to see them because I haven't seen them for over a month. Okay? Right? But I'm actually not excited to see them because I'm terrified. I want to hide under a rock when it comes to basically everyone in Austin. I don't know. I, I'm very, like, I was really shocked by all of the betrayal, like, all of the social betrayal, you know. I, it really, um, it, it's been very difficult to shrug that off or, like, shake that off. And I just feel like, you know, for instance, one of the doormen at a comedy club there he likes me a lot, like, we're friends, <laughs> but he saw me confront a group of people about how they were attacking me, like, they, they were genuinely, seriously attacking me, these three comedians, actually four, four comedians, no, three, and I was like, hey, guys, like, I just, you know, I just asked this one of you if you actually had a real problem with me, and he said yes, that you guys really do have a real problem, and that that's why you were actually seriously attacking me earlier and not joking around at all, right? So I was confronting them, and they were like, yeah, we do have a problem with you, and then they gave me their example, and it was the most ridiculous example on earth, and I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense, and they were like, you're right, it kind of doesn't, like, they kind of admitted it in the end that everything was should be fine, but it, also, it just wasn't still fine because they were still three bullies who were friends with each other and I was still a chubby girl. I always think of myself as chubby when I'm being bullied. Um, okay. Why? I've never been chubby. I don't know why. But um, anyways, it's like the doorman, even though he might have heard every word of that and might have heard that I was kind of on the right side... I could still see that he, like, thought less of me. Like, he saw that three big, big players were attacking me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he he just looked at me differently right after that. And I just, I hate all of that so much. Of just, like, wow. You know, he didn't say, like, hey, man, that must have sucked that those three guys were blaming you for this 
stupid thing and like actually attacking you. He didn't say that. Instead, he looked at me with like kind of, I don't want to be associated with you maybe anymore. Like he kind of looked at me like that. And I was like, wow, wow. I don't know. And so he's going to be at the door for sure. Right. And there's going to be five other people. And I have to be like, oh, my God, you know, I haven't seen you in two months. Like, you know what I mean? And I don't know how to do that without everything I do in Austin. Someone tells me that it was wrong. Like someone tells me, no, you were you came off wrong there. You came off rude. You came off dismissive. You came off um, too nervous. And you made other people uncomfortable. Um, during a roast, when I went on stage and got roasted, this guy was like, yeah, Christy makes everyone uncomfortable. And that really hurt me because I've, to I've said this before, but like, that really hurt me because like I uh, really try to just be by myself because of that. Like, how am I making you uncomfortable when I'm like trying as hard as I can to stay away from you? <laughs> And that's what's making, that's what's making them uncomfortable. Like I asked them and they said, you are aggressively standoffish. Which is exactly what I said, trying to stay away from you. Aggressively standoffish. What am I supposed to do? Like, should I stand next to you? Where should I go? Where should I go where you won't attack me? In, in a serious way. Like, these people are not joking around. Um, and I know that the answer is, like, just smile and say hi. Like, that's the answer is, like, just, just be cool, I guess, is the answer. But I don't really know, man. These people are... The thing about this type of group of people is even if you are 100% right, you will never feel... 100% right because these are it's a group of 50 mentally unwell people that you're walking into and they're mentally unwell outspoken people so they're gonna all come at you with little projections like hey why are you looking at me like that hey hey hey, hey. like they're coming at you with their projections from their unwellness and, and so it's wild, dude. <sighs> I hope that this is making sense. Like, I know that it's like, I don't know. I'm just genuinely terrified of going back to Austin. And I'm still going because there's opportunities there that I actually want. And it's good weather. Um, I just want to go see. I don't want to like, I don't want to just not go back. I just want to go feel it out once more kind of maybe give it two more months and then if it's if it's actually just completely negative I'll, I'll just leave I don't know uh I'll just wait it out and leave and go somewhere else because it is a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of negativity and it's not even just towards me like everyone's kind of fighting each other a lot and a lot of, uh, other people are more used to it because they're from LA or they they've you know they've dealt with these types of fights all of their life, like, things like that. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want weird fighting. 
Um, so, I don't know. I was going to say something else, but I forgot. I just feel bad. Um, right, so that brings me into what I was going to talk about last podcast. But, um, you know, being bullied, to be honest, I mean, we can just concentrate it down to that word, maybe bullied, At- you know, attacked and shamed every single like fucking hour right, that I was in Austin, by so many people, um, I went to Austin with a very outspoken, funny personality going, like, I would get on stage and just rant, and people would laugh, like, it was funny, and I would just, like, I would kind of go off the top of my head a little, and, like, just talk about a new topic every day, and, I would do that off stage too, which I've mentioned I want to stop doing it off stage because it just creates drama. Nobody knows that I'm joking off stage. It just creates drama. But off stage I was just just going around like ranting and it was so much fun and like we all had so much fun together, but I was shamed out of that slowly and methodically. And there was one girl who just started comedy, literally. And she wrote, like, six jokes, just starting comedy. And she went on stage terribly nervous and read the six jokes on a piece of paper. After about a month, she memorized them, right? And then she said them on stage, and that was her whole deal. Like, she, she wasn't doing anything off stage. Like, this is her whole deal. And people absolutely loved her. Like, she's a, she's a rock star. And on stage, she's shaking. Everybody knows who I'm talking about. Okay. People were attacking me for being the confident one. So, she and I were both on the same episode of Kill Tony back-to-back. During my minute of comedy, I literally stopped in the middle of my minute and said to the audience... And you can hear, I said, guys, I can't breathe. I'm so nervous. Please help me. And I actually take a second to catch my breath while the audience helps. And they're like clapping, you know. And during the interview, I was like, can you tell I'm freaking out? You know, so I I mentioned how nervous I was at least four times. The next girl was this girl that I'm talking about. She never mentioned that she was nervous. But she was like, what I was saying, you know, just shaking. In all the comments, people portrayed me as the girl who thought I was harder than I am, which I don't know. But they, they were like, in the times that I didn't say I was nervous, I would kind of get back into my kind of like, oh, but listen to that, like a little bit of ranting. And they would try to... Sh- they would be like, nah. And then when they, when they were like, okay, people would say the shy girl. They would refer to the shy girl. The shy girl was so cute. The shy girl was so good. And it was so hard for me to figure out when they referred to the shy girl, if they were referring to the girl who mentioned she was nervous four times or the girl right after who was shaking. 
which one is the shy girl? And I knew, I knew that it was her. It was the other girl. Um, they just really love a girl who can barely breathe and is just only shaking, who never, who never gets on her feet. Like, I'm just so bitter, bro. How bitter am I? I'm so bitter. And I, and I, I really hate that. I've been trying not to, um, but here's the thing. This is, I'm coming to a point here. After that, I slowly, people were telling me to be more like her. They were like, just do your, just, just do one-liners. Don't do rants. So I started just writing one-liners and just memorizing one-liners, writing them, saying them. It's so fucking boring and stupid. You just go, oh, the Holocaust this, the Holocaust that, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, bah. And people laugh. And then you go to the next one-liner, people laugh. And it's disgusting, nerdy bullshit. It's not funny. Um, but people are laughing. And it's professional. Like, everyone's like, wow, you're taking this so seriously. Wow, you're so professional now. Look at you. You have jokes now. It's like, yeah, it's, it's easy. It's the easiest thing on earth to, like, write a stupid 9-11 joke. It's easy. Um, but, yeah, here I am. Of course, I'm doing that. Instead of, you know, walking around stage and trying to be as animated as I could, I started just, like, being scared and awkward with the microphone. The more awkward and the more scared I was, the more people loved me. And the more people would come up to me after the show and say, man, oh my God, the times when you were awkward, the times when you were scared, the nervousness, you got to keep that. People would say with wide eyes, you got to keep that. You got to keep the nerves. You got to keep that awkward shit because that's, that's the gold. I have to keep that. And it was really weird. Cause like, sure, I was doing great, but, um, that's not, I don't want, that's not my dream. Like, my dream was not to... Like, my dream isn't to be on my big Netflix thing and to be like, okay, here's my jokes. Holocaust 9-11 Jews. <laughs> That's not my fucking dream. And I don't know. It's just been really... But I just... I know how bullied I was when I tried to be all confident. I know how bullied I was and I don't want that. I was never bullied during my little nervous, awkward phase. People would just be like, you're great. Oh, my God. Like, people would be so much more delicate with me. Um, and so I, I loved that. But it's, 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 there's no talent there. There's just, that's, there's just no, no talent. No, no magic. No charm. It's just all... Um, it's just all pandering to the insecure masses of mentally ill. Uh, oh, I'm autistic too. I'm autistic too. No, I'm fucking not. It's just, it's just pandering. And it's, it's, it's bowing down to the people who want me to be nervous and awkward. Um, so anyways, my little sister, this is bringing me to this point. My little sister, she's a really cool girl who, she's like fucking cool right? She's in high school. And she found this, like, awesome boyfriend. They're just so cool together. They're just so close. He goes to this great school, and he's so, um, 
did I say he's cool yet? No, he's just so, like, outspoken. He's very talkative. He has this, you know, a good humor about him. He's just so willing to talk and be enthusiastic and just his personality. And I was driving, I was driving them. I was driving um, them to drop him off at his parents' house, you know. And he's just talking so much. Oh, like, you know, just bringing up so many topics and really responding to things I say. And he gets out and I was like, you know, we drove back. I'm like, man, he talks a lot. Because it was like a little to a flaw. Like, he would talk over you. Like, you know, so I was like, damn, he, so he talks a lot. My little sister was like, yeah, you know, everybody says that. But it's better that way. It's not boring. It's not as awkward. When she said it's not as awkward, I thought she was like, a like I thought she was like saying that about me. Because like, I was never, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking as much. I'm kind of hurt. Like, I don't talk as much. I don't want to be outspoken because I've just been... I've just been, um... Gotten in trouble for just so many things that I've said. By other comedians, by the way. I'm not even talking about cancel culture. It's like, other comedians are so offended by everything that I say. Like, or whatever. I don't know. But I've just been wanting to talk less. Because if I talk less, people are more delicate with me. And, um, so she's like, yeah, it's better. It's, it's less awkward. And I was like, oh, yeah, it, it is less awkward that he talks a lot. It's less awkward. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And she's like, it's more entertaining. And she says entertaining, my eyes light up, right? I'm literally trying to be a comedian. So if you, if you tell me something is more entertaining, I'm like, oh, is, is, can, am I that? Right? So I'm like, oh, fuck, you're right. Hey, you're fucking right. When she said that, she said the less awkward, she really hit me with a fucking right-left. Like a right and left punch or whatever. Like a left and right. I don't, two jabs. She fucking hit me, dude. She goes, less awkward. It makes me, oh, fuck, you're right. Oh, my God. Me being quiet like this is awkward. Which, you know, people are saying that they love it. They love the awkwardness when I'm on stage. It's so funny. Like, they love the awkwardness. But, you know, it's, it's also fucking awkward. Like, it also makes me feel worse about myself over time. Like, it, it makes me feel like um, I'm not able to express myself. Like, I'm not able to even think off the top of my head and actually, like, stand up for myself. Because I'm so busy being like, ooh, oh, fuck, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Like, it's, it's making me more awkward over time. Like whatever. And then she hits me with the talking a lot is more entertaining. I was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I want to be entertaining. I would like to be entertaining, please. Like, yeah. That was the whole thing. You should have fucking seen me when I first moved to Austin before I was like, sh just like cried a lot, you know, but before the, like, I was so entertaining. Anything you said, any topic that you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to be entertained, have me there. That's all I, you know, you, you fucking toss up any topic, I'll fucking let you know. And you are safe and you can just be entertained. And some of these awkward people, 
are not actually that entertaining. Sure, they have a few jokes that they wrote down. But I don't even value that. Like, I write these jokes and they're just as good. Like, some of these jokes that I write are just as good. And it's trash still. Like, I'm going to end up throwing them away. Like, it's absolute trash. I don't give a fuck. Oh, the Holocaust. Like, it's so stupid. These one-liners are so dumb. No offense if you like one-liners. Like, no offense. And, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't really... I don't really know. It's just that... I've always been more entertained with comedians who go on a whole rant. Who go on a whole funny rant. And they're just like... da 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 Like, that's where I'm laughing. I do not ever laugh at someone who's like... Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. I, I, that's... I don't like it. The little formula math equations... It's like, sure, that's smart. Oh, great. Look at, look at what he did. Look at how he just put that together. Great. But I want to bring the energy. You know? Like, I just want to, like, fucking dance, man. So she kind of... She hit me with that, and... She got, you know... Talking a lot is less awkward... And more entertaining... And it makes you actually be able to shine, like, or, I don't know, I, I wrote the word shine there, and I was, like, I was, like, writing that down right after realizing it, so I'm trying to realize, I'm trying to remember, like, why I wrote shine, um, but it's just kind of like that, you know, being that awkward, nervous girl on stage, people, people like it because they love to, like, they love to see a girl who needs comforting. And the thing about that is I don't like that about society. Why would I it's like if they love to see if if they love to see a Jew being tortured. So I'm like, okay, well that's what the people want and I go up there and I torture a Jew. It's like I don't agree with that. Are people going to be mad that I compared those two things? I'm a big extreme comparer. But it's like, if I don't agree with something that society likes to see, then, then I don't need to be like, that's what the people want, and, sh and give it to them. I don't agree with the fact that people want a submissive girl. I have a joke against that. Which I'm, should I do it now? I don't know. It's basically that, like, sometimes on dating apps, I see guys write down on their, like, little descriptions that they like a submissive girl. And I'm like, wow, so you, you know, they, they want to be dominant, so they like a submissive girl. And I'm like, so you like, you like an enemy that easily submits? Like, do you play your video games on easy, too? And I just kind of go into that of, like, I mean, does that, does that relate at all? Shit, I hope I recorded that one set then, because I don't even remember the, the set now, and it was so good, of just, like, you know, the girl, if anything, is way more dominant than you. Like, you need to be with the most easily submitting girl on earth, and you think that you're the dominant one? How about the girl? She's the one that's locked herself in an isolated room with some monster, with a beast who could kill her with his bare hands. And you're plowing into her. 
just rah, rah, rah. And she's a tiny little girl. Like, if anybody is the dominant one, if anybody is the one who knows what's going on, it's her. You have no idea. First of all, you're paying her. But, no, but sorry, that was from, no. Um, okay. But it's like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, that's almost like, you know, with racism and stuff of like, oh, the, you know, the people want to see a, if, a, if I was a black man and I was like, the, oh, the people want to see a black man who's acting this sort of way. That's what they want to see. And it's like a disgusting idea of like, that's so bad that people want to see a black man acting this way. That's, that's so a shame. But yet I'm like, yeah, but that's what they want to see. And I want to be, you know, I want to su succeed. So I'm going to just go up there and do that. So people can clap and be happy. So people will want to see me more and, and book me more. It's like, no. No, you stand up for yourself. You go, no, that's a shame that people want to see that. I'm not going to give that to them. I don't like that. That's wrong that they want to see that. I don't know. Sorry. Um, I want to be able to try to like have my talents shine and my talents are not to be awkward and nervous. That is not, that is not my talent. If you went around my like, you know, schools that I went to growing up and all the programs that I did growing up, they would not say that my talent was at being awkward and nervous. And yet I did a very good job at it for the past few months, didn't I? I did it and people were like so fucking excited and impressed by it. They were like, man, it's so impressive how awkward and nervous you were. Like, that is perfect. You got to keep that. Yeah, well, it's kind of easy. It's kind of an easy bar to give people. It's kind of like acting like a baby. It's pretty easy to act like a baby. What's not easy is to actually be able to fucking <laughs> uh, be articulate with the words that are coming out of your mouth. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm just so pissed off. So, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you guys with that. I, I hope this was good. I didn't actually get drunk, so... It's like, I, I feel like this was awful. I just feel like it was so bitter and um, complainy and stuff. Like somebody like me would love to hear this podcast, but I just feel like uh, that person won't be listening. It'll just be people that are kind of annoyed by it. Ah. But we have, I mean, I'll, I'll leave you with something something positive, I guess, like, um, they say, you need to, <laughs> one of the keys to success, like, one of the keys to being a successful person is the ability to rouse, is rouse a word? Like, I wrote rouse, rouse enthusiasm among men, arouse, rise, rouse, enthusiasm among men, and that sounds simple, but, like, when you see that actually happen, you realize how great it is. One of my favorite best friends that I've ever had, she used to be able to rouse enthusiasm among me. 
about things. I would literally point at her shoes so often. She would just wear so many off-brand she would go for so many non-mainstream styles that were just out of nowhere styles. And, like, I would point at her shoes or something and be like, oh, you know, do you like those? Like, I'd be like, what are those? Like, oh, I don't understand those shoes. You know, they're just not... Nobody wears those shoes. Like, what is what is that? And she would fucking make me enthusiastic about her shoes. She'd be like, oh my god, these, like, wow, okay, these are, like, this great style from this actress from, like, a hundred years ago, and I saw these, and I was so excited, oh my god, she's just so delicate, and she's just this and this, and look at these, you know, look at the way that I look at, at this angle with these shoes, like, she would rise, arise so much enthusiasm in me about the shoes that within five minutes, I would go from, like, kind of hating something to, wanting to borrow it all the time with her this was with everything every pair of clothing every wall piece of wall art just fucking everything with this girl she could make me enthusiastic about something that I previously hated and that's something that I tried to like you know get from her like she had so much confidence in the things that she liked that me a more a little bit more mainstream person I would try to shame her and be like what is that and she'd be like this, like, and she would just bring so much, a lot of what enthusiasm is, is confidence in the thing, because, you know, I don't know, there's this guy who makes videos about how he loves trains in, in England, and, um, he is so famous now, because, he appreciates every single detail of trains and he knows every single train that's like going through England and he train what he like train spots all over England and he takes videos of himself waving to the trains but he fucking goes you might not even like if you haven't seen the videos like you should type in train guy England and try and you'll know when you found it like you'll be crying You'll be, like, literally laughing and crying. So you'll know when you found it. By the time you finish watching some of his videos, you will notice that you now like trains. Like, now when I see a train, I'm like, oh my god. Like, I really appreciate the train so much more. Just because of him, he, he roused enthusiasm among men. Like, among people. And... I just want to be able to do that more, <laughs> like, you know, being able to have confidence, like, he knows that nobody gives a fuck about trains, but he has enough confidence, he has so much confidence in the coolness of trains, he's able to bring them from a zero to a 100 every fucking minute, just, no, no, these trains are fucking amazing, and let me tell you why, these trains are fucking amazing, let me tell you why, he's able to keep hoisting them up over and over again in every single video where you start off being like nah and at the end you're like oh dude trains are sh the shit like I'm gonna go train spotting tomorrow which I I'm not I'm just so but like you know what can what can you what can what can you try to share your enthusiasm about you know sure I guess I don't have like an autistic enthusiasm about you know, trains or anything like that, but, like, I mean, I've, you know, I've shared my enthusiasm about Survivor, 
and about this running challenge that I'm doing and certain things. I mean, we got to work on it. Like just being confident is, is pretty hard because, you know, even, even that, even just with interests themselves, you see the way mainstream culture just brings down any interests that aren't in the mainstream. Just, no, that's not cool. No, that's not cool. No, that's not interesting. And people who have to have enough confidence, as, as much as this train guy, as much as that guy, they have to have a soaring, autistic amount of confidence to actually withstand the pressure that mainstream culture is, is putting them, you know, down on their winters, whatever. Uh, and that just like, it kind of connects with the last thing is if you think about somebody, (laughs) if you think about somebody in your life, somebody that you know ever on earth who is on level 10, 10 out of 10, performance just they're in they're in it you see them whether it be in the media or whether it be like you know in your life like facebook updates you see them at work whatever they are level 10 they are 10 out of 10 performance i mean think about that i mean you see that kind of in it and it's like intimidating to you but just think about that that how are they doing that how are they on level 10 what level are you on I can think about certain people who are at least above me like they're at least at nine you know they're at least performing so far above me productivity wise and just being so much more put together right and then I think about what level am I on I'm like oh god maybe level six maybe maybe level four Six, four, I'm not on level 10. What would it look like if I was on level 10? What would it look like if you were on level 10? Could you do that? Can you do that? Can you work towards that? One level at a time? I mean, you can think about what would be cleaned up, what loose ends would be like tightened up that puts you from that level four to level 10. You know, mine is, you know, just, there's a few, I mean, putting this out more on a consistent basis, making it with the video, right? Being put together more, you know, getting back to my comedy shows, like, right? Um, Not having any more personal, like, I mean, having these like social conflicts is so unprofessional. I mean, So not having any more social conflicts. Like, if I was at a level 10, I would be above social conflict. Right? I'd be like, oh, no, what the fuck? I'm above that. Right? So just tying up those types of loose ends of like, no, I I have my shit to do. You know, I'm, I'm out here growing and showing. So I'm on level 10 right now. And I'll leave you with that. Thank you so much. Bye.